I would like to begin this morning by addressing the most notorious, if not the most important, in fact, I don't believe it's the most important, issue in regard to falsehood, namely, the question, is it ever right to lie? And I'm going to address the issue, though perhaps not answer it as directly as you might like, what I want to say is this. It is possible to be a godly person who walks by faith and yet in extreme situations that are life-threatening feel constrained to lie in order to obstruct wickedness. And on the other hand, I want to say that it is possible to be relatively free from intentional lying in your life and be a godless, unregenerate, wicked person. Now, the reason I say it is possible to be relatively free from lying and still be unregenerate is because there are all kinds of personal and social forces in the world that might cause a person to have a strong desire to want to be known as dependable, to want to have the reputation that their word is as good as law without having any relation to God at all. And on the other hand, the reason I say that it's possible for a person to be walking by faith and to be godly and yet in those extreme situations that seem life-threatening to feel at times constrained to lie in order to oppose wickedness is because I find instances of that in Scripture. And I want to show you at least two of them. If you want to turn with me, you can turn to Exodus chapter 1. These are familiar stories. But it may be helpful to remind ourselves of the implications they may have on this issue. The second book of the Bible, chapter 1. The situation is that the Egyptian pharaoh is threatened by the growing number of Israelites in his land. And so he hits upon a scheme by which to deplete their forces, namely... He tells the midwives who deliver their babies to kill all the boys, to strangle them so that it looks like a stillbirth, probably, and not to kill the girls. But what happens? In verse 17, it says, The midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. And the king, of course, is upset at this and asks why they did it. And they answer in verse 19, Because the Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and are delivered before the midwife comes to them. Now, regardless of how vigorous the Hebrew women are, this is a lie. Because my definition of a lie is 
that anything you say that is intended to lead a person to believe a falsehood. That's what they're doing. They really do want the Pharaoh to believe, we're doing the best we can to kill these babies. And they're not. And it says in verse 17 that their motive is the fear of God. And in verse 20, God responds. God dealt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. So they're not rebuked in this circumstance. Here's the other example. Joshua, chapter 2. You know the story of, of Rahab the harlot. She lives in Jericho. God evidently is, has been working in her life in some way. And the city is about to be stormed by this mighty army that has come through the wilderness and the reputation has gone before them. But not everybody believes in the God of Israel in Jericho. In fact, nobody does except Rahab, it seems. Two spies come into the city to check it out, get the lay of the land, and they hide in her house. And the king hears that they were at the door. And he sends two messengers to the door to find out where they are. And she's hidden them under flax on her roof. And here's what she says when they come to the door in verses 4 and 5 of Joshua 2. True, men came to me, but I did not know where they came from. And when the gate was closed at dark, the men went out. And where the men went, I do not know. And then the rest of the chapter tells us how she believed in the God of Israel and pleaded for mercy and deliverance for her family when the city is stormed. And here's the key. In Hebrews 11, in the New Testament, verse 31 Rahab is listed as among the heroes of faith for this reason. By faith, Rahab the harlot did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given friendly welcome to the spies, period. So the biblical interpretation of her action is that uh, it came from a heart of faith. So, what I conclude from these two stories is that you can be a God-fearing person like the midwives. And you can be acting in faith like Rahab. And in those extreme, life-threatening situations, feel constrained to lie in order to oppose wickedness. Now, the reason I'm not going any farther than that, the reason I'm not answering the question by saying it is right to lie in those circumstances is because the Bible does not explicitly condone their lying. The midwives are commended by God for not obeying the king. And not killing the babies. And nothing is said of their lying. And Rahab is commended for welcoming at the risk of her life 
the spies, and nothing is said of her lying. But they're not condemned. They're not condemned either. And I struggled for hours on Friday with what to say about this issue to you, feeling a a great responsibility. Let not many of you become teachers, for you will be judged with a greater strictness. It is a great responsibility to decide what to say to you about this matter. And what I've simply decided to say is this. There are worthy and godly saints who have, in their struggle with evil, felt constrained to lie in order to oppose life-threatening wickedness. And they were not condemned for it. That much I can say on the authority of Scripture. But I think here's what we must do now. We must shift our focus off of these exceptional circumstances onto the massive condemnation of lying in Scripture and let our emphasis be what the emphasis of Scripture is. That's what we'll do now for the rest of the message. Namely, let's look at Ephesians 4. Verse 25, and while you're uh, getting back to that, let me walk with you, without your looking them up, but just listening, through a few other texts, just to give you a flavor for the breadth of the biblical condemnation of falsehood in the mouths of God's people. Proverbs 6.16, there are six things which the Lord hates, seven which are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and a man who sows discord among his brothers. Proverbs 12:22. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. Proverbs 12:19. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. Proverbs 20:17, bread gained by deceit is sweet to a man, but afterward his mouth is full of gravel. Isn't that great? Proverbs 21:6, the getting of treasures by lying is a fleeting vapor and a snare of death. And one more, the most appalling statement about liars in all the Bible is Revelation 21.7. It goes like this. He who conquers shall have this heritage. I will be his God and he shall be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the polluted, As for murderers, fornicators, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their lot shall be in the lake of fire that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now, the reason I read you these verses is so that we won't play games with this issue. All right? 
so that we won't say, oh, sometimes it's right to lie, you know, to accomplish some good, and other times it's, it's not so good. But it's no big issue. It's a big issue. It's a hell and heaven issue. Evidently, the New Testament writers saw a connection between what comes out of the mouth in terms of falsehood and what is in the heart so clearly that a person who practices falsehood goes to hell. It's just that simple in the mouth of, the, of John, who wrote Revelation. And so it's a big issue. It's an important issue. And I want us to think about it together. Well, let's go to Ephesians and remind ourselves of something from last week. You remember that verse 22 is the general statement. Put off the old nature which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful lusts or desires which come from deceit. Then we said, you remember, verse 25 is a specific instance or illustration of that corrupt nature. And it says with the same verb from verse 22, therefore, putting off falsehood, let everyone speak the truth with his neighbor, for we're all members of one another. So, what's clear from the connection between verse 22 and verse 25 is that falsehood or lying is a part of the corruption of the old nature. Now, why is that helpful to see? It's helpful because it tells us where lying comes from. And if you can find out where your temptations to lie come from, you can fight them better. You can get victory. Where do they come from? Well, look, verse 22 says that the corruption of the old nature comes from desires. We're corrupted through desires or because of desires. And where do these desires come from? They come from deceit. The father of lies, Satan deceives the heart about what is truly desirable. And therefore, our hearts, which are inveterately desiring, and there's nothing wrong about that at all. Adam was created an innocent desirer. He just desired God. And the fall has come. Our hearts have become hard. Darkness has spread over the deep of our heart. Ignorance abounds about what is truly desirable. The desires keep churning out of our hearts. And what do they go after? All the wrong things. There's nothing wrong with desire at all. Sexual desire is good. Desire for life is good. Desire for pleasure is good. Desire for hope is good. What's wrong is going after them in the wrong places. Wrong times in the wrong way. Nothing wrong with desires. So where does lying come from as part of the corruption of the old nature? It comes from desires that are wrong. And where does the wrongness of the desires come from? It comes from deceit. Deceit about what is desirable. If we knew and had a level or a schedule of priorities in our hearts which were exactly according to God's, all of our desires would accord with God's and we could fulfill them all. We could be total hedonists. Which is what we ought to be. Wanting what God wants and wanting it with passion. But now we know where lies come from. 
They come from bad desires. Let's get specific now. What kind of desires cause us to lie? Two kinds. You could call one fear. You could call the other greed. There are two kinds of fear that cause lies, and there are two kinds of greed that cause lies. Let's talk about the fears first. If you want to follow with me in the powerful example from the life of Jesus, where I'm getting this, the next two insights, turn to Matthew 21, verses 23 to 27. It's a familiar story. The chief priests are coming to Jesus in Matthew 21, and they are trying to find out by what authority he does what he does. And so they say, here at the beginning of this text, Matthew 21, 23, following. By what authority do you do these things? Well, now, Jesus will not answer them immediately. He gives them a return question to test to see whether they are swine or not. He will not cast his pearls before swine. This is a swine test. And learn from it whether you have a swine heart this morning. Because swine are very, very pretty people in the New Testament. They're religious people. They're not harlots. Harlots get saved because they know they're rotten. Swine think they're good. You'll see it here. This is swine test. Here's the question. The baptism of John, whence was it? From heaven? Or from men. Now let's watch a lie in the making. What are the desires that go into the making of this lie? Here's what they say. They get their heads together, these chief priests and elders, and they say, Well, now if we say from heaven, if we say the ministry of John, the baptism of John is from heaven, well, he'll say to us, Why then didn't you believe him? So we can't say that. But if we say from men, then we're afraid of the, the multitude because they all think that John was a prophet from God and they might mob us. They might stone us. And so they said, we don't know. They are swine. And so Jesus says, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. I will not. Talk to people like that. Brothers and sisters, if there is any of you who is living a life of falsehood, who is calculating your words to conceal, you are cutting yourself off from Christ. He won't deal with you. He'll deal with a harlot in Jericho. But he won't deal with swine who keep their front of religiosity up and because of fear lie. Well, what what are the fears here? There are two fears that are governing these people. What are they? We can see them. The first is the fear of getting egg on their faces or of losing esteem among the people. Look at verse 25. They conclude... Well, now, we can't answer 
by saying the baptism of John is from heaven. Why can't they? Because it's not true? They don't care if it's not true. That's not the issue for swine. Swine don't care about truth. They care about what? They're afraid of losing the esteem of the people. They're chief priests. They're pastors. Are there fallible pastors? Are there pastors who can be caught in inconsistencies? Are there pastors who sin? So the first fear is, well, we can't, we can't answer that. We can't even entertain that as a possibility, lest we, we lose the uh, approval and the esteem of the people. Well, what's the second fear that's governing? Look at verse 26. They can't answer that John's baptism is from men, and that's exactly what they believe. That's why I'm calling them liars. That's exactly what they believed, that it was from men only. It was not divine. Why can't they say that? Why can't they own up to that? Speak the truth. Say what you really believe. Why? Their skin is valuable. They don't want to be hurt. They might throw a rock at us. They might mob us and kill us. And so what do they fear? They they fear physical harm. They fear losing their life. These are the two fears that cause the lie. Fear of losing the esteem and the approval and the acceptance of people and fear of getting hurt. Or to translate it into our circumstance, maybe losing a little comfort. Or being persecuted. You see where lies come from? Thousands of lies in this city every day are born of those two fears. Now we know the origin of the lie. Losing personal esteem and the fear of getting hurt causes them to lie. But notice, these desires for esteem and safety are deceitful. They're false. They're bad. Where did they come from? The father of lies. Satan was in that huddle when they put their heads together. And you know what he said? He said something like this. Look, guys, this is just just a teacher from Galilee. This is no big deal. Don't ruin your reputation by getting yourself trapped in a religious inconsistency and for For goodness sakes, don't risk your lives to own up to something that is, of course, what you believe, but is just not important enough to talk about here. Just tell them you don't know. Be evasive. Be diplomatic. Be political. It's the father of lies that creates desires that are false desires. It's not true that to have the esteem of people is more important than to have the approval of God in truth. It's not true that to have safety is more important than to have the security and approval of God when you speak truth. That's a lie out of hell. And they fell for it. And therefore, the lies of Satan cause the lies of sinners. That's where lies come from in your life and mine. They come from Satan. Listen to Jesus. He says, don't run away from persecution. Don't evade the truth in order to save your skin. Blessed are you when men persecute you and revile you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely. Rejoice in that day and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Some of you, they're going to cast out. 
of prison. I mean, out of the synagogue. And some of you, they're going to throw in prison. And some of you, they're going to kill. But fear not, you can only be killed. Come on, have values like the king, not like the world and the swine. Be a son, not a slave. I said that lying is caused by fears and lying is caused by greed. Two kinds of fear. Fear of of losing esteem and fear of, of getting hurt. The two kinds of greed are greed for money and greed for power or privilege or prestige. Let's talk about money for a minute. Who would you choose from the New Testament to illustrate a person who is driven by the greed for money to lie? Ananias and Sapphira. You know the story. You don't have to look it up. A man and his wife sell a field, a piece of property. They get this sum of money. They look at it. And then, in a moment of incredible irrationality and deception and desire, they lay part of it away and take part and lay it before the representatives of God Almighty and say, that's what we sold the field for. Well, Peter is aghast. He just throws up his hands and says, How has Satan tempted you to lie to the Holy Spirit? So where does lying come from? The father of lies. What did Satan say to Ananias and Sapphira? Well, he said, "Uh, Look, you've been living on the edge of bankruptcy all your life and uh, the bills are going to be piling up here at the end of the month. And you're, there's no point in being strapped just to so that you can take care of some of those bums down in Jerusalem. And then he said, and besides, you and your wife have lived without a lot of decent pleasures. And, and now you're getting near retirement and, and you ought to treat yourself to some extra long vacations and trips. So don't give it all. It's more desirable to keep it. It is more blessed to keep than to give. Wait a minute. They didn't didn't hear the lie straight against the teachings of Jesus. And they didn't hear it. And they dropped dead. For the lying tongue is an abomination to the Almighty. It is serious whether we lie or tell the truth. And I'll leave to your own imagination illustrations of how greed for prestige and power cause you to lie. But let's go back to the text. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 25. What we've been doing is simply unfolding the dynamic that is expressed in verse 22. There is a corruption in this old nature. Part of it is lying. It comes from desires which are bad. These desires are bad because they come from a heart of deception and the father of lies is constantly telling us that something is desirable that's not desirable. And so we know where lies come from now. They come from Satan. 
and from a corrupt heart that's deceived about what's truly desirable. What should we do? Well, we saw it last week. Verse 23 says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Oh, I wish we had time all afternoon to just unfold one promise after the other from Scripture, one characteristic of God after the other, which if we really believed it, our minds would be so renewed that the icicles, these ugly, long, heavy, sharp icicles of fear and greed that are hanging in the caverns of our hearts would melt in the sun of April. And our hearts would be flooded with the light of God's security and God's love and God's grace and God's hope. And we wouldn't be constrained in order to win the approval of people or avoid getting hurt. We wouldn't be constrained to lie. We'd be free like the children of the King. But I don't have time to talk about that. (laughs) So I'm going to talk about, for the last two or three minutes, the last phrase of verse 25, because I said, well, if there are a thousand things I could apply this lesson to, what should I choose? And I'll choose what Paul chose. He chose to apply it to the church and our relationship to each other in the body of Christ. Let's read the verse one more time. Let everyone speak the truth with his neighbor. Why? For we are members of one another. Now, this is amazing. Out of all the relationships Paul could have chosen, you know, he could have chosen business, and he could have chosen home, and he could have chosen commerce, and, and all kinds of things to hit home about lying. And he chose the church. At Bethlehem, he said, don't lie to each other. On committees, don't lie to each other. At business meetings, don't lie to each other. Don't be evasive. Don't be uh, dissembling towards each other. Be straight out and up front. Tell each other the truth. Why? Because, and he gives this amazing argument, because you're a part of my body and I'm a part of your body. We're all one body. It's, it's this idea. If, you're, if the body is eating with a fork... And the eye lies to the hand about where the mouth is. It gets stabbed. He'll stab himself right in the eye. That's dumb to lie to your hand. It's just plain. If you lie to a Christian, you're stabbing yourself in the face. Now, if you don't get that, you know what hasn't happened yet? The truth of the body of Christ and your place in it has not renewed the spirit of your mind. The spirit of your mind has not been renewed by the truth of the body of Christ that we are members of one another. A hand, a foot, a toe, a hair, a nose, a lip. We are all members of one another. When we lie to one another, we lie to ourselves. And what do we call people who are enslaved to self-deceit? Sick. We put them in hospitals. They live in two worlds. Call them psychiatric cases. That's not the body of Christ. So let me close by making this summary and this application to us here. In summary, going back to pick up what we said at the beginning, with the possible exception of uh, extreme life-threatening situations, lying 
is a part of the corruption of the old nature. Where does it come from? It comes from desires, which in themselves are not bad, but which become bad when they're deceived about what's desirable. And where does that come from? The father of lies deceives us, makes us think that something's more desirable than truth, and we get taken in by it, and in order to justify ourselves and protect ourselves, we lie. That's where it comes from. I just want to admonish us at Bethlehem to put it off. Put it off. Take it off. We don't have to be that way. Let's not be deceitful or hypocritical. Let's not have any duplicity or deception or varnishing the truth or evasiveness or equivocation or uh, misleading diplomacy. Let's be straight up with each other. Let's be straight out, straightforward, plain, frank. I got out my thesaurus. Wonder where I'm getting all these words. I got out my thesaurus and looked up true. And this is a list. Let's be candid and straightforward and plain and frank and open and real and unaffected and accurate and truthful and honest. And the list goes on. That's the new man. That's the creation of God in the church. When we don't feel constrained by fear or greed to guard ourselves from being known or to cloak any situation. I've been here for six years now and I have tried to set an example of candid and open and above board and straightforward leadership with the staff and with the council of deacons where I sit and at our business meetings, and in our weekly newsletter. And to my knowledge, before God, in these six years, I have never had an agenda that I have not laid openly before the Council of Deacons. Nor have I ever come to a business meeting before you people without the full and complete intention and resolution to answer every question you ask with absolute clarity, honesty, and completeness. And I call you to witness whether you can recall any instance where I dissembled and where I have tried to be evasive Now, I think that is pretty much the character of our church. We have a ways to go, but we're getting there. I think, by and large, our church has the spirit of candor and openness and frankness about it. No underhanded ways. No behind-the-scenes political maneuverings. Just open and above-board dealings. Here's what's coming. Here's what's happening. Here are the problems flat out. Now, we can improve, and, and let's improve. But my plea to you and my closing admonition is on boards, on committees, when you eat together, when you talk to each other in the halls, when you call each other on the phone, strip off that old corrupt nature that wants to protect itself and its imperfections by lying and by evasion and put on the new man, the creation of God in truth, in candor, in straightforward communication about what we really think and what's really happening. And perhaps the world will look and see and give glory to our Father in heaven. Let's stand in closing prayer.
O God of truth, whose living word upholds whatever hath breath, look down on thy creation, Lord, enslaved by sin and death. Set up thy standard, Lord, that we who claim a heavenly birth may march with thee to smite the lies that vex the groaning earth. Ah, would we join that blessed array and follow in the might of him, the faithful and the true, in raiment clean and white. Then, God of truth, for whom we long, thou who wilt hear our prayer, do thine own battle in our hearts and slay the falsehood there. And all the people of God said, Amen.